0: Applications and welcome to another oh, episode fun. of the Awesome Friday Podcast. And can't I just, have yeah, been successful in making do. Simon laugh immediately.
1: You can't just cold open <laughs> with that and <I> expect <laughs> me to hold it together.
0: I think I probably wow. can. Uh, wow. <laughs> my name is Matthew. Laughing is Simon. Wow. Say hello, Simon.
1: Hello. Uh, hi. Nice to speak to you all again. I hope you're all doing fine.
0: Yes, we were off last week and I was thinking that we should probably do like a double sized episode to celebrate our return, but then I was like, That seems like a lot of work. So we're That's talking about work. two movies this week. No, 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 uh one no. freshly released to streaming and the other uh in theaters this weekend. Uh the first being The Batman and the second being The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. But first, how are you, Simon? How's your two uh, weeks been?
1: Good. Uh it's I had a nice Easter. It turns out I had four days off instead of three, which was a surprise because we, as far as we understood my work, we didn't get Monday off until our new American company emailed us to say, oh, you have Monday off. I'm like, oh, all right. fine. So um, I, I basically spent four days eating and drinking as much as humanly possible like in a, in a really unhealthy, self-destructive way.
0: Um, so it I don't was have... Easter, is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> I don't have many vices left, and so when it comes to food, I'm like, well, oh, fuck it. What else is there? I'm gonna, yes, I'm gonna eat this entire chocolate egg, and I'll probably regret it later. But that's that is what um, Jesus wanted. So, well, who am I to, who am I to say that that's wrong? Um, so I ate lots of chocolate, and my wife made. I sent you a picture of the amazing ham she cooked. This honey glazed ham with scalloped potatoes. And, uh, and we ate that, and then we had like cheese. We had friends over Monday for like, like an English tea. So like cheeses and breads, and leftover ham and leftover potatoes, and alcohol. And that was great. That was great. But then you going back to work. I find this is always a problem. I find after Christmas as well. In fact, you've just had a big chunk of time off, so you're going to find this tomorrow. I find it really, really difficult to slot back into a work after. Time being off, even just four days, and be like non self destructive eating habits. <laughs> like, near it's now we're past Easter now, you can't just eat chocolate all day and expect to be productive.
0: Uh, I was going to say, you can actually just eat chocolate all day, it just has consequences <laughs> like you used to. <laughs> so...
1: I get, I get mid time, like lunchtime, I get a 30 minute lunchtime, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll have a beer. I'm like, no, no, you're not going to have a beer. <laughs> you, need to, you need to work this afternoon. That was then. This is now. So, um, I, I think if I have won the lottery, it would be terrible for me because I'd just turn into an obese alcoholic. And I don't think there's, I don't think there's much. There's only money and responsibility separating that from my life now. How about you? How was your um, time off?
0: Uh, it was good. It was busy. We also celebrated Easter and actually went to see, you know, my wife and I went to see her parents, and then I went to see mine. Uh, for the first time in ages, because it turns out a, a raging global pandemic is pretty bad for travel, it's just a bad scene so
1: okay.
0: yeah, but no, it was, uh, it was nice, uneventful um, you know, watched some movies got accredited to for Hot Docs, which is an upcoming documentary festival, a big Canadian documentary festival so you should see some coverage of that on the website in the coming week or two um, and uh, interestingly DOXA as well which happens is a Vancouver based documentary festival um, it happens at roughly the same time so I'm kind of overwhelmed with documentaries at the moment
1: I, I have a non-documentary question for you um, hmm. about about your break, you're from a little island called Salt Spring which, what's, the, what's the population of Salt Spring? like roughly? I
0: don't know, 10,000? 10,
1: 10,000, okay, it's not a big place no, uh, and it's it's very very beautiful, and one of my happiest memories of, is you trying to shake my first child out, out of my wife by driving us up um, some rocky road into the woods. But my my well, question... okay,
0: just 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 for context, <laughs> they wanted to see the lookout at the top of a mountain. The only road up there is a dirt track that we drove up, and my and, wife. and his wife was like nine months pregnant, basically. <laughs> it was so
1: it was almost a salt spring birth. Yeah, but, but my question is, I went to a liquor store and I found a beautiful looking bottle of salt spring cider, like mm-hmm. handmade uh, winter spice cider. It looked amazing. $14. I'm never going to spend that on one bottle, but it looked beautiful. And it, it occurred to me that when I go out to places like this, there's always salt spring stuff everywhere. Cheese and um, uh, ceramics and ciders and all kinds of salt spring. There's really good salt spring honey as well. And for a tiny little island, like, what happened to your island to make it such, like, a powerhouse of hippie production lines? Like, what, what is it on Salt Spring that people can make all this stuff? Because I don't see the same amount of stuff coming from, like, Galliano cheese or or any of the other islands. Like, Salt Spring seems to have it completely tied down. Is it just full of, like, hippies making stuff?
0: I mean, sort of. <laughs> it's, it's not just hippies making stuff, though. It's... um. Uh, it's it's interesting because for those of you who live away, like Salt Spring within BC does have a big reputation for being a bit of a hippie place, you know, lots of weed and uh, other things like that. But when it was sort of founded, colonized, if you will, um, especially by, you know, families like mine, the people started farms. It was a big farming community. And uh, a lot of those farms have transitioned into other things one of my uh one of my aunts and uncles uh before they got old they had a huge farm that they sold and that is now gary oaks winery um salt spring Island winery was their neighbor who i used to know um and lots of other places have turned into lots of other things there's a salt spring brewery there's salt spring cidery there's i went to high school with the kids who now own salt spring cheese Place. Um, and, and it's literally just farmers looking for uh it's, it's not so much hippies it's actually more like farmers looking for new ways to monetize their right. their right. stuff and it's oh. uh it's mostly working
1: and and what I like as well is that it's become a bit of a brand of i I used to buy stuff because like, oh, that's where Matt's from and then said you pitch picture. look it's from your home um but it turns out I don't think I've ever bought anything from salt Spring and that hasn't been really really good. Like, not just, not just like fun because it's from Salt Spring. Like, the cheese is fantastic. I've had, um, not ice wine. I've had some kind of fancy liquor from Salt Spring, and it was amazing. Like, everything seems, is really, really good as well. So that's nice.
0: Yeah, and Salt Spring is not a sponsor of this show. just. <laughs>
1: but, uh, if they but you know,
0: me. I mean, this is the same with most any other place where there's, you know, people who care doing small batches of things basically mm-hmm. right like people wanting to do it right and they do it right so
1: i really enjoy it well. market. your farmer's market's a lot of fun i know you've been involved in that over the years i've only been once but i really enjoyed it
0: uh no i was involved in the fall fair uh oh. not the farmer's market
1: oh i'm sorry they're... so yeah they're different
0: yeah, things the different fall things, fair yeah. is uh, is the you know the the yearly fall fair Right. I don't know how else to say it. Um, whereas the farmers' market is like the weekly Saturday, people go and sell their stuff in the park uh, event. How how close does the,
1: the how close does the full fair get to like midsummer levels of slightly terrifying pagan rituals?
0: Uh, I mean, it's slightly terrifying because there's so many people there, but oh. it's, uh, <laughs> there's no there's no pagan rituals to speak of. Uh, there's just normal, you know. Anglo-normative rituals. <laughs> <laughs> not,
1: not the bees, which yeah. leads us nicely into our first yeah. movie today.
0: Well, our second that? movie.
1: Oh, second. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. We'll talk about that later.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, that's that's sufficient banter, I think. <laughs>
1: well, I hope it's persuaded some listeners to go to Salt Spring, if they're local, because it's not naturally the kind of place you would choose it if you're going, like, to an and I like if you're gonna go, you're gonna go to like Victoria or something, but it's definitely worth a trip. Salt Springs.
0: Beautiful. Well, you say that, except for that, you know, Salt Springs' primary industry, the thing that drives all these people to make these things, is tourism. Like oh, their yeah, primary sense. industry is tourism. So okay. they're you know people. This stuff is now in stores in other places because people went to Salt Spring, and went, this is really good. I wish my local yeah. store carried it, <laughs> and now the local stores carry it. Yay. So,
1: so yeah. what's our first movie today? What are we talking about? From like...
0: well, we're talking about a small, independent film uh, starring <laughs> noted character actor Robert Pattinson, which is, I believe, called The Batman, uh, which I believe is about a cricketer. But
1: uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you've, you've spent too much time with your dad this weekend, haven't you?
0: Probably. Probably. Uh no, we're talking about Batman, the new Robert Pattinson starring Matt Reeves directed Batman, mm-hmm. uh, which is now uh available for premium rental or in Canada. It's on Crave and I believe it's on HBO Max in the United States. So mm-hmm. no one has any excuse to well, there's excuses to not watch it, but <laughs> it's it's readily <laughs> available now. Um nice. and uh it turns out it's a Batman film. And that's I mean <sighs>
1: It's it's a Batman film.
0: Yeah. Uh it's <laughs> yes. I mean, so the basic plot of this movie is that Batman is in his second year of batmanning and uh a new villain has emerged who is leaving riddles and it turns out he's called the Riddler. And oh. yeah, I mean, I did not watch this movie that long ago and I'm not going to lie. I've I've forgotten a lot about it.
1: Do you know why? <sighs> it's because it's,
0: it's f- so. It's because it's fine. It's fine. It it's t- absolutely t- fine. Uh,
1: yeah, it is. It, <laughs> we're we're sounding quite negative about it, and I know I'm. I'm at a bit of a con- uh, juxtaposition here because on the one hand, I love Matt Reeves. I think Matt Reeves is a spectacular director, and this is a director, and this is a really well directed movie. It's brilliantly mm-hmm. directed. It is also a fantastic film noir, very, very much in the seven kind of template of modern noir. Matt Reeves can direct. I really want to see him make a full, like, non-franchised film noir now, because it is a brilliantly shot, coloured, coded film noir. But is it a good Batman movie? And for me, it falls short as a Batman movie, because I don't. I don't want my Batman to be a movie that I not even can't show my kids. I can't show my wife this movie. It is, it is. uh <sighs> Batman for me, it, I, even though I grew up on Adam West, but I know that that was a very, a very comedic or light take on the character. I understand the comics. I've, I've read a lot of Batman comics. I'm a big fan of the Dark Knight. I know many people aren't, but, uh, but sorry, the Dark Knight Returns is in the Frank Miller graphic novel.
0: Oh no! Everybody, lots of people like that story. Yeah, I mean, it's the most influential Batman story for a reason.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't. It's been don't how many years be... since that came out? Now I don't need that to be default Batman. I, yeah. I want, I want default Batman to have the lightness and the deafness that the animated series has, which is still dark, incredibly dark in places, but also like goofy and funny and Batman's like not tortured and even though yeah one thing you really like about this movie I know that works quite well is that this is the second year of Robert Pattinson being Batman incidentally he also turned it took him 14 years to turn into a bat from a vampire a terrible vampire
0: but the <laughs> the. uh do you he, think he, he has to look up at the sky and you will bat
1: <laughs> oh god Matt Reeves' as Batman every bad, and then just running away. Yeah. Um I'd watch that. <laughs> yeah. Uh but so I it, it is it is you know, there are parts of this where he does make fe- he misses some things and he he misses one particularly hilarious bit of uh, Spanish grammar. Um but he um he he doesn't get everything right and by the end of this movie his arc is like oh I've just I know I I can't just be one thing. I need to be more for the people of the Which is fine, but the the route to that conclusion is humorless. Like, completely humorless and dark and gritty and there's a they, I don't think it's helped at all by a take on the Riddler that did not work for me at all. Like, I like Bordano as an actor. Like, out of all the Out of all the Batman, like, enemies, even more than the Joker, like, the Riddler's always stood out because he, for me, he doesn't really care about anything. He just wants to prove that he's smarter than the world's greatest detective. He doesn't really care too much about money or death and destruction or... That's his only thing is to show how smart he is. And he, he kind of enjoys the intellectual aspect of pushing Batman to the edge. And this this Riddler, poor Dano's Riddler, is it's a Heath Ledger Joker. I mean he's he's gone no, re- I he's, he's gone really did. oh come on, he's gone really, really hard on the on the the dark aspects of this character. You don't agree?
0: Uh I so I just I disagree with that particular comparison.
1: Um Well but there's there's even a bit where they, they send the same kind of uh uh video call like shouting into camera while they like torture someone there's one like for like scene with him screaming with a gruff voice into the camera behind a mask and yeah i guess guess like explosions of vocal like screaming i
0: think yeah i guess i think there's some structural surface level similarities but the the heath ledger joker is like the embodiment of chaos whereas the one thing I do like about this Riddler is he's basically an indictment of all of the kind of dorks who sit in basements and rant about how they hate women on the internet. Like he's basically an indictment of incels, which I kind of like, you know, exactly the wrong kind of people who end up being Batman fans is who this person embodies to me. And I kind of, I kind of like that take. Um, I, I, I mean, for me, I think I actually do think that this is a fairly good, Batman film. I just fully also recognize that it's not the kind of Batman film that I personally want anymore. Uh-huh. So, so it's fine. Um, and the things, and that's again, that's one of the things I like about. It. I like that, you know, the internet is awash with trolls and bullies who sit in dark places and rant about how you know about woke culture and about how what's a real Batman and all that kind of crap, and. You know real comics fans, and this the Riddler in this movie is exactly that person, and I think it's interesting that the filmmakers were like, "Let's make the bad guys internet commenters basically mm. um I, and
1: I, I, I I don't really disagree with you behind his like motivations and the the reasoning but that i i'm thinking i'm I'm talking more about as an actor as a delivery it it goes to the same places and no, i think you're that- not.
0: You're not wrong, I guess. I
1: I think I think there was lots of scope for the Riddler to have a bit more humour, uh, because uh like or, or or think he's funny anyway. As the one thing I hate about internet commenters is that it proves that comedy is difficult. Like the to have him think he's hilarious with all that aspect you're talking about, but have to, to to have him thinking that he's funny as well, but he's really like bad at that too. Yeah,
0: I he think doesn't that doesn't even. Have fit doesn't even need just... to think that he's funny for me, but he does need to like be smug about it, you know, be smug about yeah. how clever he is. And yeah. I don't, not to spoil the movie, but when the Riddler's finally caught, I think that the scene where it becomes clear that the Riddler legitimately thought that he and Batman were on the same side is super interesting. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish that's where the movie had stopped, with like a short coda afterward. Um, But instead, we get a big hero moment. Um, And I don't, like, it's not a bad sequence. The ending sequence isn't a bad sequence. It's just that, like, I I don't, I don't, I don't know. I I think it would have been more interesting to leave Batman in this place of, like, defeat rather than giving a hero moment at the end. Maybe that's too much of a downer. And I can also definitely see someone at Warner Brothers watching a rough cut of the movie and being like, uh, (laughs) add, (laughs) add an action scene. Just We need more action. Because the other thing I really like about this movie is that despite that Bruce Wayne is really bad at being Batman at this point and for the world's greatest detective fails to detect a number of things, I do really like that it is basically Batman as a detective story. Those are mm-hmm. my favorite kinds of Batman stories. Mm-hmm. And this is an, I... an adaptation of at least one of probably the two best Batman as a detective stories. and. Yeah. I I like that about it. Um, I think I think it's fine. I'm just over this version of Batman. I'm over yeah. super dark Batman. I actually rewatched a while ago um, Batman Forever, <laughs> which uh-huh. is a movie that I really like. Uh, but uh, last night, actually, prior to recording this, I actually rewatched the 1989 Batman for the first time in. A long time. Mm -hmm. And that is an interesting movie to watch after a long time away because it is kind of weird and disjointed because it's basically a Tim Burton film and a Saturday morning cartoon smushed together. And it kind of shouldn't work. But the end result is that it is both dark and weird but also light and goofy. And Mm -hmm. I kind of need... Batman movies to be light and goofy again. You know what I mean. I know. Exactly I feel what like you mean it. I feel like they that the the critical <clears throat> reaction to Batman and Robin, despite that movie being a huge financial success, I feel like the they overcorrected from that movie, and we've never recovered.
1: Well, Batman and Robin is the most popular Batman in this house. Like with that is the film that we go to, and my kids quote uh, because it does feel like. Finally, something a bit more Adam West put through the timber. Well, also, turntable. also,
0: comic comic book. I don't I don't know who needs to hear this, but comic <laughs> books are for children. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong being an, with being an adult comic book fan, but I do think that comics are better when they are fun. And de- we can the, the debate about Batman and Robin is one for another day because I have very mixed feelings about that movie. I do think it, it oversteers a little bit too far into goofy for my own personal taste, Mm -hmm. but also I can totally see why your kids love that movie. Like it is a fun kids Mm -hmm. movie, you know, in the way where in Batman forever, maybe doesn't go, doesn't go as far, um, but it's still light and goofy and weird. And I, I just need, I think it's honestly. I think that's why the Marvel the Marvel films end up succeeding is because on the one hand, you have all these, you know, DC film bros online who complain that they're not dark or gritty or adult enough, but also those movies are fun. Like mm-hmm. say what you will about the varying quality of Marvel films, they are all at least trying to be fun. Mm-hmm. You know, not everything needs to be a dark, gritty deconstruction of something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's they just yeah, do, it just doesn't. And I think that I think that there's a whole generation of people who mistook Frank Miller's dark, gritty take as adult, and the only way that it can that comics can be adult, and I kind of hate it.
1: It's a really interesting point you make about Tim Burton being able to mix together these crazily different styles, where you've got Joker pulling out a gun from his pants that is as long as his leg. And in the same movie, you've got Jerry Hall's melted face as a reveal behind the mask. And and yep. there there are there are some uh, I love that movie, and I remember being terrified of some parts of that movie as a kid watching from behind my fingers. Mm-hmm. And yet still loving like the, the darkness to it. And I think I feel a bit the same way. We've talked about how Sam Raimi combines horror and humor together. And you definitely need someone like Burton or Raimi who is able to do that mix for Batman. Like because I love Matt Reeves but this was a humorless film and I I totally agree with you it needs I for me personally I I really need that aspect to come back. Um it, it's, I disagree but... it, I
0: disagree that it was humorless but I do think the the humor in it was unintentional. <laughs> so
1: Oh, oh okay. There was humor <clears throat> and it is the absolute genius that is Colin Farrell and if you did not know he was in this movie then you would not recognize him uh, not just because of the makeup which is spectacular makeup but his yeah son. i will
0: say the the cast in this movie is absolutely stacked but mm-hmm. i do very much appreciate that Colin Farrell seemed to understand that he was in a totally different kind of movie <laughs> yes cuz he is dialed like all the way to 11 for most of his scenes so good. and a lot of it like uh, it just is like thick new york italian accent and the heavy makeup that he's wearing and just everything he said the way he says everything he says is so over the top i do also love so there's a (laughs) there's a scene immediately following the batmobile there's a a great to be fair a legitimately great batmobile chase scene in this movie Mm -hmm. um in but in which batman causes it, like it causes so much destruction and several deaths at least. Oh, easily. And then at the end, they like get catch up with the penguin and they ask him a question. and He's like, "Uh, you guys are wrong because you just don't speak Spanish," and he like tells them what it, the clue says in Spanish with correct grammar. And they're like, Uh-oh. "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like I really, I do really like that Batman is kind of bad at being Batman, right? Like." it's it's a thing right like and it, it sounds yeah. weird, but like if you were gonna dress up in a suit and go beat up lower class people, which is effectively what Batman does when he's beating up thugs on the street, like you would need to speak Spanish in America. It's just not a question. <laughs> it's a bilingual country. You would need to speak Spanish.
1: It did amuse me that they, when the first scene, first dead person, Batman walks in and he looks at like the cut on the fingers and he immediately identifies through the, the amount of like decomposition of this cut, like exactly what happened. And the, this, the trained pathologist doesn't see it. Batman walks in and says, Oh, this isn't there. And yet, on the flip side, he misses like one absolute basic piece of Spanish grammar. And Colin Farrell has the absolute best time correcting Batman's Spanish grammar. Like, he, yeah. he is, he, he is, um, he, he's the best part of this movie, uh, joint with probably my favorite moment of anything I've seen in any film this year was in the Batman, which is the reveal of the Batmobile. And whoever the sound designer was that decided the jet engine on the Batmobile is going to scream, like, start with a low scream, and the scream gets louder before the engine kicks in. Like I I went and rewatched that through the loudest headphones I had, and it is brilliant. And and that Batmobile chase is fantastic. It is really really good. It's a great noir moment of a great noir movie, and the sound that that screaming jet comes in twice, and it's used like Matt Reeves is really clever in how he uses it because he he gives it to you, and then it he waits and then he gives it to you one more time, and so. You recognize it, and it's just at the climactic moment of that chase. It's really, really good.
0: Yeah, and Sorry. I would argue that having having recently rewatched a couple of different Batman films that all basically have the same Batmobile reveal scene, where someone says, "You know, we have to let's get where we'll all we'll, drive," and someone says, "I brought my car," and Batman says, "I brought my car," and then like the Batmobile appears out of darkness. Uh, this is the best version of that I've seen for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think it's really—I know I'm just—I'm just like a broken record here, but I really, I really like that he's bad at being Batman. I really like that the movie calls out his privilege as a rich white douchebag by just not being aware that he would need to speak Spanish. Like it's just, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. it really lays bare some of the. The movie really doesn't seem to like Batman. Like the people who are making the movie don't really seem to like Batman, and I think that's interesting um, or at least they recognize his flaws and are calling them out constantly so i I think I think it's a fine movie. I don't think it's a bad movie. it's not the movie I want it to be mm-hmm. but the movie I want Batman to be is basically Lego Batman at this point
1: so. <laughs> I was thinking when I came out of well, when I finished watching the Batman. The first thing I thought about was the pre-credits, like in Lego Batman, where Will Ferrell says, darkness, it's got to be dark.
0: Yeah, and then a logo. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And and it's such a brilliant deconstruction of what Batman is these days. But yes, Lego Batman is the way forward. Who's who's your director of Aquaman? What's his name? James... James
0: Wan, director of Aquaman.
1: James, I love Aquaman, and I was not ready to like Aquaman. Uh, I think out of all the DC movies coming up, Aquaman 2 is my most anticipated, because Aquaman is a fun, colourful movie, and Jason Momoa really gets it as well. He gets that he's a, a comic book character in a comic book movie. And I think James Wan, he's from a horror background too, right? I think he's... Yeah, James
0: Wan is like, uh, I mean, The Conjuring and Saw and all kinds right. of stuff.
1: So he, I think he'd make a great background. Like give him the reins. DC's looking for um their own Kevin Feige to, to over oversee the new owners of Warner Brothers want this like overlord. So give it to James Wan. Like he's proof that he can do it. it might actually yeah, be I fun.
0: Think, honestly, I think that the um I think I think the reason part of the reason that Kevin Feige is so good at his job is that he is a producer first. Uh mm-hmm. he's just a really good producer. Mm -hmm. Uh, i think whenever we talk about like giving the reins to one of these directors i think i think i think they do actually need someone who understands not that directors don't but i think like a movie producer and someone who's a producer first someone who's going to be able to let someone else take the creative reins of each individual project but also guide Mm -hmm. them to be an overreaching thing but i also i kind of don't I don't think DC necessarily needs that. I think I think mm-hmm. Chasing Marvels model is a mistake. I think they should just keep making weird movies, one-offs, and then occasionally tie them together. I think that mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mm-hmm. I think they should just make every Elseworlds movie that there that there is. So <laughs> I want them to do weird stuff. Yeah, and I just don't need everything to be the same, basically. Yeah. So.
1: And without going into spoilers, I would like to have exactly zero surprise parental links to any of the the characters in any of these movies.
0: In particular, any any links to the Wayne family. uh, But yes. And the
1: Arkham, like, uh, enough now.
0: Yeah. It's funny, too, because one of the other things I watched recently... After watching the Batman, as I went back and watched the the episode of Batman, the animated series that the Riddler first appears in, and it's much closer to what I want from a Batman film. Mm-hmm. But that, I mean, Batman, the animated series is the best Batman, so that's the whole thing.
1: Yeah, it really found that balance, didn't it? Really, really had, this, like, some of the. The Joker scenes are incredibly dark, but still manages to find the dark humor of it all. Appa- I haven't seen Harley Quinn uh, animated series, but apparently that does that gets very close to that balance. As well, it's been very
0: yeah, and you know, and I watched that when I was a kid. Like that, the Batman the animated series takes music and design cues from 1989 Batman, so mm-hmm. it came out in the 90s. So I was, you know. 12 to 15 or whatever when it was on tv or so mm-hmm. and uh it's dark and gritty but also light enough that i don't think your 11 year old would have a problem with it no we've it's... watched we've watched some yeah anyway so, what, so do you how give, many... what do you give what do you give the batman out of how... five
1: i mean uh it's difficult because uh it's a brilliantly directed movie that and I love film noir, so I, I really appreciate those aspects. I would love Matt Reeves to, to like I said, do a straight film noir. So uh, it's it's a four as a noir and a two as a Batman movie, so I'm going to say three overall.
0: How yeah, I'm going to say three overall because I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. I recognize that it's not what I want, but it's still a well-made movie, so I think we're saying pretty much exactly the same thing. So three
1: Yes, over. yes, we are. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Good. Well, that's not a segue at all to our next film, uh, which is called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And Simon, why don't you give us the rundown on this movie?
1: uh, This this movie is one of the kind of genres I really love, which is actors playing themselves as hyper-real versions of themselves going through fake actor trauma. (laughs) <laughs> it's a very specific genre so yep. uh nicholas cage is um uh openly auditioning for new movies and he's he, he gets the feeling that he's uh his career is waning like his star is fading and um even though he's made uh, a million movies he's he still feels like his latest roles are getting away from him his it, there's a, a wonderful moment very close to the beginning where he's he's desperately trying to get a part and sort of open auditions in the car park and going full cage and and um he he gets this feeling that his career might actually be over because he he loses some opportunities and and we learn that his dedication to his career has kind of separated him he's separated from his wife he has a very cold or distant relationship with his daughter, who isn't the nine-year-old girl that he, in his heart, she's still this nine-year-old girl, and she doesn't respond to him like watching the movies he wants to watch and him trying to teach her. This rings home very closely, by the way, because I forced I forced my poor daughter to watch all kinds of old movies and then explain them incessantly to her. But uh, and he gets an offer he gets an offer for a superfan who wants to pay a million dollars for him to go to. Uh, the not Seychelles, where are the islands? But, um,
0: he goes to Mallorca in Spain,
1: Mallorca, Mallorca in Spain. Thank you. Um, and he says no initially, but then he says yes because it feels like easy money. So he goes and spends time on this island, and it turns out, um, Javi played by Pedro Pascal, who is just wonderful. Um, turns out he is a massive cage superfan, but he also appears to be the head of a very dangerous cartel who uh, it looks like have kidnapped uh, the uh, Spanish president's daughter to make sure that to force him to not run in the election. So uh, Nick Cage gets embroiled with this, um, uh, this dangerous situation. I try not to say too much more. I, I mean, he's, and, recruit, he's I'm the, recruited by and the CIA the to, to spy yeah. on
0: his new friend. yeah. And that's about as far as we can go without giving you too many it really spoilers. Is.
1: It really is. Uh, if you watch the trailer, you'll get the idea of, of where this film's
0: going to go. Yeah, but it's I mean, very... It, um, It's very Nicolas Cage. It's very self-reflective. It's 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 kind of a... I find it difficult. I found this movie to be when it's nick cage examining what it means to be nicholas cage i found it to be very good uh when it sort of devolves into something a bit more actiony towards the end even though it's sort of brilliantly telegraphed and executed it's it sort of became something i didn't necessarily want it to be but it's also well done that i didn't like it's that's that's like the minorest of complaints like it wouldn't it also wouldn't work without that section at the end So. I really liked this movie. I don't know how you've... We haven't really talked about it purposefully. No. Uh, And I I really liked it. Um, I think that Nicolas Cage is on a hell of a run. And I think it was interesting and ultimately kind of... Maybe brave is the wrong word. But it's the kind of movie where you really have to engage with your... He really has to engage with himself and all of his own idiosyncrasies. Mm -hmm. Idiosyncrasies. Um, yeah, yeah. and his own reputation in a way that i'm not sure everyone in the world would be able to do yeah that's so so honestly and openly even though he is playing he's not playing himself he's playing i mean i do think it's a small stroke of brilliance that the character in the movie is called nick cage which is something like mm-hmm. n-i-c-k which is just a play on how everyone always misspells his name basically <laughs> um i would
1: I I really, really liked how he it looks so easy to play yourself, but it's incredibly hard when you're playing different versions of your hyper-real self. And I, I feel the same way about um uh, being John Malkovich as well. Like there's I it occurred to me a couple of years ago that when I thought about the movie being John Malkovich, in my head, Malkovich isn't in it very much because um, it's mainly John Cusack and Cameron Diaz jumping through like wormholes into his head. And so in my mind, Malkovich is only there like small amounts of time when he's just being John Malkovich. And then I realised he's in like 99% of this movie. But in my brain he's so good at acting as different versions of himself that uh, in my brain I didn't consider it to be him. And I think Nick Cage did a really, really good job of not overplaying <laughs> even though there's some really crazy moments in this, in particular there's a, there's a, an imaginary element to this that is massively over the top Nick Cage that works really really well and I think he's really really precise at choosing his cage level from the imaginary person to the person at the beginning who's this like desperate cage and then we see him towards the middle and end of the movie sort of dialing everything down and being much more honest and being able to switch. Like when he first meets Javi and he's, he doesn't know he's speaking to Javi, as soon as he realizes he does, he switches on like the main cage to introduce himself. I really, really enjoyed all those parts where he's playing around with different versions of himself and they're all like somewhat fictionalized anyway. I thought he's, he's a much better actor than people give him credit for, I think. And I, I haven't seen Pig, so I, I'm sure that my opinion of him will go even higher when i see. Him. But, I think um, we are, I
0: think that he works so much that, uh, and he takes so many parts that we, we do, and I've said this before, I've said it in particular in relation to Pig, that we, we sort of forget that he's a great actor because he takes so much work seemingly for the money. There's actually a moment in this movie where that calls it out directly, where he's in, th- in therapy and he's like, I can't remember how she asks it, but he says like, "This is, you know, this is my job." And in any other job, if you worked really hard, people would say you're doing you're doing great. But I work so much, and people are like, "Stop working so hard." <laughs> and, <laughs>
1: That's a very good Nick Cage impression.
0: And you just, it's, it, yeah, it's it's interesting the way we think about Nicolas Cage, you know, who is mm-hmm. in tons of movies that we herald as as classics and you know, Academy Award winning and even in the last, say, five or six years, it's true, or probably ten years, let's be honest, he he does churn out several movies a year. Uh, but what we sort of forget is that there's every year or so, there's one absolute banger. Like, there's always one good one. He turns out a lot of dreck, it's true. But he never shows up and gives less than 100%, and... Every once in a while he makes a great choice, and you end up with a Joe or a Mandy or a pig. Mm-hmm. and those ones make the rest of it worthwhile for me, because mm-hmm. he's so good in those ones. And I just think it's really it's really interesting that they were able to make this movie and make it with him because they were apparently they were going to make it with or without him. Uh, apparently, the backup plan was to cast Daniel Day Lewis as Nicholas Cage, which, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> which is just—you uh, didn't see that? There was an article yesterday. I'll see if I can find it for you. Yeah, they—they uh, they said if they—they couldn't get Nicolas if they couldn't get, the, get Nicholas Cage to be in the movie, they were going to just recast Nicolas Cage um, as Daniel Day Lewis. Da- they were going to try and get Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah.
1: Oh my. God. <laughs> which
0: is I, just—I just somehow want to
1: see that more.
0: Wow. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and honestly, if I have a complaint about this movie, because I think it's really well executed, I think it's really funny, and I think it's really honest and interesting, and interestingly heartfelt as well. Like, it does have a really sweet core, and if anything, I would argue that the marketing for this movie has kind of oversold how nuts it is
1: yeah it's not it's I not mean.
0: it's if anything, my complaint is that maybe it's not quite nuts enough,
1: yeah. yeah, especially after the first act, which does kind of go to those places and then it it kind of eases off the craziness level in the middle third i think i the middle third is where it lost me a bit to be honest uh i I quite enjoyed the action at the end because it was it was him like it was back to the hyper real stupid cage and the first i really like for the reasons i talked about a moment ago i really like the first third where he's showing different versions of himself imaginary and real and private and public and and the whole middle section where he's doing stuff for the cia and they kind of go on an acid trip uh driving around town i i didn't find that particularly interesting at all really and so uh, it.
0: I mean, I, I just. I mean, I, just, I sort of. I understand what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree. But I really enjoyed the whole section of the movie where him and Pedro Pascal were on an acid trip. I thought that was really fun.
1: <laughs> I, it's worth saying that Pedro Pascal is a national treasure. Where wh- whichever nation wants to claim him, the um, he is. He is a brilliant actor. I know that is um, that's not an especially hot take, but um, I mean, you heard people walking out going, "Oh, that guy from the Mandalorian turns out he's a good actor." <laughs> yeah, was that, was, say, that, that was that was adorable. There, that's
0: what I heard, a guy, guy from the Mandalorian. is <laughs> really good.
1: What I love about him is that you can watch something um, like Prospect on Netflix. If you haven't seen Prospect, uh, it's um, he is a very much a bad guy who fights with being bad, and, and he is a dangerous person in this movie, and he can play dangerous really, really well. And in this movie, he is like a goofy, absolute starstruck schoolboy, and he plays it so, he is so happy in this film. There's one moment at the end where he, um, it's at the very, very end where they have a hug, and he just grins straight into the camera, and he's like a 14-year-old who's got a new bike. It's just, he is he is brilliant, at playing both sides of that spectrum like convincingly. So, yeah, I, I did enjoy him in those times.
0: Well, like, I, think his, I think his the story his lost me a bit. His chemistry with Nicolas Cage is also spectacular. Like, they, they clearly mm-hmm. both understand what kind of movie they're in. <laughs> yes, yeah, totally. And uh, they both play it to to varying degrees to exactly the right level for each individual scene. And I think. Again, I think it's really interesting that Nicolas Cage clearly understands that they are going for the full cage at times, and also, mm-hmm. more specifically, when they're not going for the full cage. But mm-hmm. I think Pedro Pascal is there at the, at the exact right complementary level every single time. Yeah. so
1: he's, he's a very good listener. I think great actors are the ones who listen and give, like, allow the other person to be good by giving them what they need. And I think he's that kind of actor. He's, he's He's always in that space and very focused on what the other person or people are doing He's great
0: yeah there's a famous acting technique that I can't remember what it's called everyone everyone talks about the you know method acting as like the it's like the the primary way that people act these days, but there's another one I can't remember what it's called it's like Meisner Meiser Meisner.
1: Uh... oh yeah Meisner Meisner.
0: I think so. It's it's the one where like you you focus entirely on the other performers, basically, mm-hmm. rather than focusing on your own experience. And I think it's really interesting. And I don't know if he practices that or not, but the way you're framing it makes me think about that. So, so I think it's they, a much more interesting way of performing, just because yeah. everyone seems to go straight method these days.
1: Yeah, Oscar Isaac does that. I I'm fairly sure because Oscar Isaac went to Juilliard, and I they pushed my in a pretty. Strongly there about listening and giving back in kind, and uh-huh. it works really well with method acting like true method acting, not the Jared Leto bullshit that he peddles, the actual <laughs> method acting. Yeah, the the two are really, really complimentary, and it, it does make for really good performance.
0: Uh-huh. So, I mean, so
1: yeah, I mean, I just came out this movie going, it, it could have been, it could have been like you say. There's so much opportunity for it to be a bit crazier and a bit less safe, and uh, I was kind of disappointed a little bit. Even though I thought it was fun, it was a really fun movie. Uh, my expectations were had to be a bit higher.
0: I don't know if the, my I don't know if I would say that my expectations were higher. I would say that they are. They were probably different based on the marketing, you know. Because mm-hmm. uh, I still think this is a good a good movie. I still think it's a great time at the movies. I think like I say, I think it's really an open and honest self interrogation from Cage and I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not it's not the full cage in the way that the movie Yeah you know, is advertised as though. Yeah. So yeah just that's to, true you know, realize if people whoever's listening to this, if you if you realign your expectations a little bit, um, I think you'll have an amazing
1: hmm it it is a fun it's a very light fun movie as long as you know that's what it is going in yeah yeah so what three stars for you
0: four for me oh it okay four. It's a three for me uh yeah that's that's fine um yeah i mean i uh, i don't i don't i don't begrudge anyone anything about it basically like no, there's
1: no... <laughs> no. And it's doing really, really well. And so if this leads to Marvel finally wrapping or bringing uh, Nick Cage's Ghost Rider back into the fold, um, (laughs) then it will all have been worthwhile. Because that's all I want from an MCU movie now is like they're in New York and fighting and, and everyone's beaten and they're like, what's that sound? And it's a motorbike. And Nick Cage is there. He's like, "Who's this dude?" Just doesn't mind. He's a skeleton on fire on a motorbike, yeah. And uh, and he just rolls up and he's like, "Hey, how you doing?"
0: Well, and we <laughs> have magic and demons and Egyptian gods in the MCU now, So there's right? A space for a vengeance demon, right? Yeah.
1: Oh god, if only that would really make my life that happen.
0: Although technically, very very technically, there is a Ghost Rider in the MCU because he, uh, the other. One of the other Ghost Riders appeared in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So,
1: yeah, but, you know, the multiverse is cracked open now. Like, it doesn't matter Yeah, you can have you can have anyone from anywhere now.
0: True. I would like to also just point out. So one thing that I wasn't expecting that the marketing doesn't give away at all. In this movie, is that in the movie, Nicholas Cage, Nick, Nick Cage is married and his wife is played by Sharon Horgan. She's really funny. She's a really funny lady. I enjoy whenever she shows up in anything. And he has a daughter who's played by Lily Mosheen, who is also really good. And so I don't think I'd seen her in anything before. And I sort of came out thinking that, that girl really, really looks like Kate. Kate, it's like Kate Beckinsale and Michael Sheen had a baby. It turns out Oh that, no, really? <laughs> that's ex- that is exactly what happened. She is oh, the daughter no. of Kate Backinsale. Oh Michael my Shane. god.
1: Now I can't uh, unsee it. It's so obvious when you point it out.
0: Yeah. And it's uh but she's also quite good. So yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah
0: she is. Yeah. So yeah, unbearable weight. Four stars for me, three stars for you. And we yes. both gave Batman three stars. So three
1: stars. That's A flat fun. three. Yeah. Flat three across the board good so what have we coming, got coming up next week anything on the cards What's uh, on the ticket?
0: nothing that i can say for sure there's some possibilities that i don't want to jinx and there's some other stuff that i don't think i'm allowed to talk about yet but hot docs is coming up so look for that coverage on the website um we probably won't be covering dr strange until after it's in theaters if we cover it at all before streaming because I found out that the only press screening in Canada is in Toronto. um, And we don't live in Toronto.
1: That's great. Thanks, Disney. That's great. Thanks for that.
0: Um, But yeah, we'll have something. There'll be something. There's always something. There's something every week.
1: (laughs) There there will be something.
0: Yeah. Maybe maybe we could make it to cinemas twice in a week, and then we could talk about The Northman and everything everywhere. What are you going
1: to see today? What are you seeing today? One
0: of those two. Oh, I'm I jealous. am going to the movies when we're done recording, and I'm going to watch one of those two movies, depending on oh, timing and proximity. Right. So.
1: Well, yes, enjoy. I'm deeply jealous for m- more one than the other of those movies, but I would like to see both.
0: Yeah. Me too. Good. Good. Well, uh... Thank you, everyone, for listening to us ramble about movies for an hour. We greatly appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, if you like listening to us ramble about movies, please consider giving us a review, a five-star review, in fact, on your podcasting platform <laughs> of choice. We are on most of them, all the big ones, anyway. Uh, if you'd like to support us a little more directly, we do, of course, have a Patreon, a Kofi, and PayPal, and those are all going to be linked in the show notes. Uh, and be sure to visit the website awesomefriday.ca for all of the rest of our content, including the aforementioned hot dogs coverage, recent coverage of Canadian National Film, no, sorry, National, I get it backwards every time, National Canadian <laughs> Film Day, uh, and other festivals we've covered this year. Um, yeah, no, that's all I got. Uh, let us uh, We're going to sign off there. Uh, thank you for listening, and thank you for joining us on this awesome Friday.
1: Thanks, bye.